So we're looking at John 14, 15 through 21. John 14, 15 through 21, and Acts 2, 1 through 13. Acts 2. You'll find them on the screen, on the screen. If you got it with you, we know the drill by now. Um, before we read, and you'll make the connection immediately. I'm not going to have to really explain it to you. But before we read, let's pray together. Oh God, it is good to, to be here in this place. It is good for us to gather together. We're grateful for this time. We're grateful for this community. We're grateful for the opportunity to just simply quiet ourselves, to let go of ourselves. And as a people, pay attention to your word. As a people, pay attention to the presence of you, Spirit, to allow ourselves some moments to hear you speak, to feel you move, to feel your nudge, your push into something new. Open us up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. John 14, starting at verse 15. Hear these words. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, well, they are the ones who love me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love that one and show myself to them. Let me flip over to Acts 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews of every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, 
residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, these people had too much wine. We'll go that far. (laughs) That's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. These people are drunk, man. Oh, it's funny. So Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees them nor knows him, but you know him because he is with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So for us to really live into this part of the story, it's important for us, as always, when we jump into the middle of a story that one of these gospel writers is writing about Jesus, it's important for us to to remember where we are in the story that author is trying to write. So right here, we're sort of in the middle of, of John's telling of the Jesus story, and we're in the middle of what's called the farewell discourses, right? That means we're nearing the end. The, like the cross in the story that John's telling is tomorrow night. It's the next night. Now, Jesus has already told his followers all about this, but it's really not connecting yet. It's they're not really understanding everything that's going on here and who can blame them. But now the cross is tomorrow night. It's the next night. So for Jesus, man, this is it. This is it, and he knows it. So he and his disciples are reclining at a table at what would be their last supper. The Lord's Supper is modeled after that. So Right now, man, this is the time for summing up. This is like final words. So this moment is heavy for Jesus and his followers. Remember, the cross is tomorrow night. This moment is just pregnant with all sorts of significance, right? They can feel it in the form of intense weary, intense worry and sadness, right? So Jesus is going somewhere, and his friends are confused about where it is he's going and why in the world... They can't go there, and how in the world is he going to get there? He said, I'm going to my father's house, and all of this stuff is sort of rumbling in their heads, and they're really confused. And it becomes clear at this point in the story that the followers of Jesus, his closest friends, are filled with what we might call separation anxiety. It's the same kind of separation anxiety that children feel when their parents leave them with a babysitter for the very first time. If you have children and you you know what this is like. Right? So the disciples are actually, they're sort of acting like frightened children. Right? Why are you leaving us, Jesus? Where are you going? Why can't we just come with you? We've always been together. Why can't we come with you? Can't we just slip out of here under the cover of darkness and, and maybe go to Galilee because it's safer there? Is all of this really necessary? Why do you have to go? We don't know what we're going to do without you. Classic signs of separation anxiety. It's into those confused faces. It's into those those anxiety-filled hearts that Jesus looks at them with love. And he says to them, 
I'll ask the Father. And he will give to you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, these kinds of conversations happen all the time with parents with little children. I don't know, I don't think I could count the number of times we've had these sorts of conversations with our own boys over the years, especially when they were a lot younger, and especially when we got towards bedtime. Bedtime seemed to be that time where, like, the anxiety level would just seem to rise. Don't know why. Maybe there's a little separation anxiety. They're going to bed. Right? So I can't tell you the number of times we'll be out Put the boys to bed, we'll give them hugs, we'll read them their stories, we'll pray with them, we'll tell them we love them, we'll see them in the morning, we tuck them in, they each got their own routine we go through and we walk out, and maybe 10 minutes later one of them would, would come out to us with a worried, worried look on his face and we would, could tell that something was wrong and we, one of us would say, what's the matter, buddy? And one of them would say, I just have these bad thoughts. Well, what kind of bad thoughts do you have? I just, I just feel like a tornado is going to come and tear our house down, or the, 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 the house is going to catch on fire. And then, you know, Renee and I, we'd put on our, you know, super mom and dad uniforms, and we'd be like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry. We're right across the hall. If anything like that were to happen we would know about it and we would come rushing out of our room and we would grab the two of you and we would go get little Micah and we would all bring you somewhere safe because we will come to you. And there's something about a parent saying that to a child that just brings a kind of, it brings the anxiety level down and you can see the reassurance in their faces and that you can tell that they feel it deep in their hearts to his disciples who were filled with fear and confusion and separation anxiety, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will never leave you alone. I will come to you. So part of the beauty of Pentecost is the realization of that promise that Jesus had made his disciples the fulfillment of Jesus' commitment to his people. I'll never leave you alone. I will come to you. Isn't it amazing that even as adults, as you know, grown-up people with sort of reasonably well-put-together lives, we think, isn't it amazing that it still feels good to hear those words spoken out into the air? and into our lives. I won't leave you as orphans. Jesus says, I will. I'll come to you. Oh, you know what that means? It means that no matter how bad that depression gets or how deep it gets or how dark it gets or how heavy it gets, Jesus won't leave you alone there. He'll come to you means that no matter what that person said to you or did to you that hurts so badly, Jesus won't leave you alone. 
he will come to you. No matter how many times you lose a job, no matter how many times the budget gets so tight, you don't know how you're going to make it, and the anxiety and stress level hurts so bad, Jesus will never leave you alone. He will come to you. No matter how, how bad the pain gets or how sick you get, Jesus will never leave you alone. I will never leave you as orphans, he said. I, I will come to you. No matter how awkward, painful, or frustrating life gets with your family, Jesus won't leave you alone. He will come to you. Part of the beauty of Pentecost is the realization of that promise, the fulfillment of Jesus' commitment to his people. I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then about 50 days after that initial conversation that we read in John, that conversation that happened around the table with his followers, they were then gathered again in a room. It might even be the same room. It was Pentecost, right? They'd been through a lot in these seven weeks, and they were clearly confused. Confused by his death. Confused by his resurrection. Confused by his ascension into heaven, whatever that must have been like. Confused by the things that he had said to them, right? They weren't just, just didn't know what to do next. They weren't sure what God would do next. And then it happened. Wind and fire happened. Wind and fire. Let's think about those two basic images of life just for a few moments. Wind and fire. Like any one of us during this spring could have just opened our windows of wherever it is that we live and experienced wind and fire. Like this spring, we would have opened up the windows and maybe, maybe we could have heard the wind blowing through newly budding trees and maybe even smell it too. Any one of us could have, could have smelled the fire as maybe a neighbor was gathering different leaves and sticks left over from winter and was now burning them in a fire pit to just clear all that waste away. Any one of us during this spring could have just simply opened up our windows and gotten the sense that creation was sort of throwing off its winter blanket, getting ready for new life, wind, and fire. See, these are, the early, these are the images that these early followers of Jesus used to explain something strange in their life, but, but, but good and different and sort of inexplicable. Suddenly, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Each of them filled with the Spirit. And they spoke in other languages as the Spirit enabled them, wind and fire. You know what they were doing? They were borrowing an ancient image, right? They were burning, they were, they were borrowing an ancient image back from the creation story. Here we again, here we are again, 
talking about the creation story. The creation story is all over the Bible. It's all there. So they're borrowing this image of the creation story, the image of, of the wind, the breath, the spirit of God hovering over the chaotic waters. It's the same story. But in the creation story, it's bringing forth a new world of order and life. How else do we explain the inexplicable except by images that we know from the world? Wind and fire. So this was an intense, intense, deep spiritual experience. A spiritual thing that they had never experienced before. It was almost beyond words, but they used wind and fire. But that's not all that this was. This wasn't just a, a comforting fulfillment of Jesus's promise. I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you as awesome, as great as that is. No, this was something different. This was the birth of something new. This was, this was the emergence of a new reality. This was the birth of what we call the ecclesia, the gathering, the church, the spirit and the church. Like the two go together. We really can't talk about them apart. Listen to the words of N.T. Wright. I'm positive I've shared these with you before, but they're too good not to share again. He says this, God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy a spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland. That's so good. God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland. Wouldn't that be great? So this isn't just a spiritual high we're talking about, a mountaintop experience. He goes on. Of course, he's British, so he uses words like this. Of course, if you're downcast or gloomy, we need to use words like that more often. Of course, if you're downcast and gloomy, the fresh wind of God's Spirit can and often does give you a new perspective on everything. And above all, grants a sense of God's presence, love, comfort, and even joy. But the point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up and that we are here to help make it happen. The point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up and that we are here to help make it happen. Friends, that's the work of the church right there. That's gospel. That's good news. A new world has opened up and through the Spirit, we're here to help make it happen. Let me say this as simply as I can. The Spirit is given so that we ordinary, bumbling, fumbling human beings, sometimes who act as stupidly as we possibly can, that's us. The Spirit is given so that those people, us, ordinary people, can share in the life and continuing work of Jesus himself here and now, in our day here and now. And of course, there are all sorts of great, big, grand examples of how this has played itself out throughout history. 
right? We could talk about this all day. There's the church in South Africa that worked and prayed and struggled really hard so that when apartheid was overthrown, it was done so without the massive bloodshed that everybody was expecting. There's the church marching in protest, fighting for the equal rights of all people, all kinds of examples like that, but they're also smaller maybe sometimes behind closed doors underneath the surface examples as well that are often unnoticed. The church is there when it seems to really count the most. Places like hospitals, funeral homes, courtrooms, and prisons. The church is also there in the schools when people partner with YSS and go and mentor kids who need it. The church is also there, partnering with organizations like the Bridge Home so that we can gather a whole bunch of stuff, supplies that people need, and that when they receive them, it gives them a new chance to move forward. They get back on their feet. And that's why we do stuff like that. That's why we're planning to do more and more stuff like that because we're going to become the church we were meant to be. That's why we partner with organizations like that because they do a really, really, really good job at what they do. And they give us an opportunity to make an actual difference in the world. And when we show up time and time and time again for those organizations and link arms with them, you know what we do? We help open up a new world for all kinds of people, a world full of grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness and suddenly the future for a bunch of people is a whole lot different. That's the work of the church, friends. A new world has opened up. And through the Spirit, we are here to help make it happen. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're here. I mean, this right here is like Disneyland. Well, it's not that great. But this is for us. Oh, but it's so much more than just this. Right? This is the place where we remind ourselves that God is for us, Disneyland, so that we can then be for the world. That's what we've gotten ourselves into. That's why we've started another church here in Ames and call ourselves Renew Community, following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world, a whole new world has opened up, and we are here to help make it happen. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I, I will come to you. And 50 some odd days later, he came, wind and fire. And the world has never been the same. And the question for us this morning is, where is the wind blowing? Where is the fire burning in your life, through your life, in this church, through this church? Are we paying close enough attention to it? Friends, this is the good news. I mean, for so long, we've truncated the good news, 
and the good news has been given to us is you'll live with God forever in heaven. That's definitely good news, but it's only part of the good news. It's only part of the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is so much bigger than that. A new creation is bursting forth in the middle of the old one. A new world is opening up. And we, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, believe that good news, Jesus said. A whole new world is opening up, and we, through the Spirit, are here to help make it happen. It's a world full of grace and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and it is so big and grand and beautiful. A new world like that is opening up, and we are here to make it happen. So let's start making it happen. What do you say? Let's pray.